my name is Jeff, Jeff Stevens. I will be filling the pulpit today. Uh, Pastor Nick will be gone for a few weeks, and we're going to have some others doing that in his absence as well. And it's today I've entitled the, the sermon, Ruling the Spirit. And our key words are spirit, self-control, and discipline. If you're a worshiper in training, please take note of that. I'll be speaking primarily from two passages of Scripture. Proverbs 25, verse 28, and Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. And I will tell you right off the bat that I am not going to wring out every ounce of truth from those verses. Um, Because what I'll be speaking on today, I'm quite simply overwhelmed with the immensity of of, uh, material that Scripture gives us on it. But uh, Proverbs 25, verse 28, says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So, clearly I wanted to preach on something that I'd mastered. But I decided this instead. So, uh, and I admit that when I, and this is clearly about self-control, and we'll find out a little bit later why I entitled it Ruling the Spirit. But I just want to take a note, a moment to note the, uh, you know, we spoke of it in Sunday school even today too. We touched on it about society. We live in a society that, it's a, it's a credit card society, right? We're characterized by a lack of self-control. The emphasis is simply placed on the individual and his or her desires so whether we're talking about the, the, the realm of sexuality, habits, spending, speaking, learning, etc., patience and self-control are generally discouraged and mocked. They're not things that people say, hey, these are virtuous things to have. But yet, even society, we notice, still as much as they might uh, antagonize such idea, they also are very, uh, you know, they kind of want you to have it when it, you know, refers to them or to us. I was in the, you know, so those of you who were in the military, and I wasn't in the military, I was in the Navy. So we, we had uh, outside every military base that you ever go to, there's a common thing that you see. Just outside the gate, you see a, you know, if we have a car dealer, pardon me, but you'll get what I'm getting at. You see car dealers that they say, we finance E3 and up. E3s in the military do not make very much money. And E3s generally are younger and not very well versed in self-control. And a lot of times, vendors will, will uh, prey on this idea. We don't want to wait on anything as a society, right? Instant gratification is the norm. You know, we're, you know, today characterized in 2018, we're a bunch of Facebook commandos, generally driven and ruled by emotion. If we feel it, we say it. If we want it, we get it. If we're angry, we show it. So what matters most generally is that I get mine here and now, and if you don't like it, well, problems with you. It's not with me. You can just get over it. And that's our, our idea. As society, we're easily angered. We gossip. We murmur. We complain. We turn to idols, false religion to achieve our ultimate satisfactions. We spend money. We drink. We do drugs to get a euphoria that is temporary and only have to repeat it when we come off of that high. We get on our social media stump often, and we just blare out to the world whatever is on our mind at the moment, assuming that everyone wants to or needs to listen to me. We're lazy. We don't want to put forth the effort for difficult things. Sometimes that just might mean getting out of bed in the morning, or it might mean writing a research paper, or raising a generation that is not instructed and versed in self-control. We tend to waste our days and 
front of screens of varying sizes to the point where we don't really know often how to interact with others anymore in the real world. We've lost the ability to take time to write a letter to a friend. We've lost the ability to sit down and read a book with actual real paper pages in it. Instead, we substitute things like a YouTube video that should not be longer than a minute or two because we don't have an attention span long enough to endure that. And it's not saying that these things are evil in and of themselves. It's just that simply we've lost the discipline to take our time with things and to do them well and to value the effort that it's required to do so. Um, You know, I just sit here and I think just yesterday... Pardon me. Uh, just, I was on a soccer field, you know, helping. Uh, we ended up, the other team ended up not showing, so we just had a scrimmage. I was helping another coach, and this one boy was getting tired. <coughs> Pardon me. And I noticed that he kept on just sitting down, and, just, and I asked him at one point, I was like, well, it's almost over. I said, what are you doing for the rest of the day? I'm playing Fortnite. And uh, I said, really? How long are you going to do that? All day. I said, you're going to do it all day? Uh-huh. Okay, <clears throat> so I just thought about that, and I thought about where's, where's, you know, are you taught self-control? Are you taught that it's good to, it's okay to do that, but, you know, are you taught that it's, you know, I don't know the kid's parents or whatnot, but that's like, are you taught that, you know, maybe it's not the best thing for you to spend all day and into the night on that when it's a beautiful day? God has given us some beautiful weather here lately, you know? I mean, it almost felt like the kid was checking off a box of, having to spend some time in the sunshine, but whatever. It just kind of underscored what I was thinking about today. So, but humans, we've always been this way since the fall. Through a lack of self-control, think of what happened. Man left that perfect state in which he was placed and began, at that point, a long struggle to get back to that place. And he's done it with innumerable idols and false gods. So what is self-control? Why is it important to have? Will I ever be perfected? Thank you, my brother. Pardon me. I actually got some water before I came up here so you wouldn't have to hear me swallowing and chugging, but anyway, appreciate you. So who will be affected if I do not have it? What is self-control? Self-control defined, basically. Have you ever been... Here in church, dare I say in this church, on a Sunday morning, and that one person sitting behind you is popping their knuckles. And I'm not talking about hitting it like a big old bunch of celery and just doing it all at once. I'm talking about one at a time. Pop. Crack. <laughs> like, okay. And then y'all laugh because you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? But um, just get it over with if you're that person, right? Just, just hit it and just be done with it. Uh, you know, or... And, we should also take note that, you know, I mean, there's no wrapper ever created that is going to be any quieter if you open it slowly. <laughs> All right? Just do it. Rip it open and get it out and handle it. Sometimes we're tempted to fall asleep. You know, uh, had a lot going on this week, and we sit here, and you, and you hear, hear somebody speaking up here, and you just, it just, it's like you sat in that one chair that had all the sleep in it, Right? So, and it's overcoming you. Well, self-control or self-discipline is the ability given us by the Spirit to resist temptations of the flesh. So Proverbs 25, 28, I want to read it in the King James Version, and you'll understand why we entitled as we did. It says, in the King James, it says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down and without walls. And I love how he says that. He that have no rule over his own spirit. Because it says self-control is about more than simply creating a, a, a series of do's and don'ts or, you know, or, or, or whatever you might put in your, in your life to help you. And we'll talk about things like that. It's a spiritual issue. And our spirit is constantly at war with our, with our flesh. Self-control is a spiritual discipline. Some of the other spiritual disciplines, no particular order, like thankfulness, patience, gentleness, submissiveness, etc. 
It goes hand in hand often, if you think about it, it goes hand in hand with contentment. So when we show a lack of self-control, we're betraying the fact that we are not content with what God has blessed us with. So I ask you, how is your contentment? Are you satisfied in what God has blessed you with physically, emotionally, and spiritually? Do you find yourselves constantly chasing after that next thing that you got to have? Are you like the kid who opens up that long-awaited Christmas present? It's that perfect Lego set that he's been wanting. And he says, man, that's great. I love this. Then within a few minutes, where are his eyes? They're looking at the box. Then they're looking at that catalog that was conveniently placed by the Lego manufacturer inside there that shows all the other Lego sets that are out there. They did not put that in there by accident, folks. So if you find yourself unsatisfied, it's a safe bet that you're, lo- that you're loose on self-control and trying to rectify that situation. Even in daily life, the ability to rule the spirit is an important one to have. As I said, you know, society will, you know, while it's, on one hand they want to say, you know, you just worry about yourself, don't worry about me, I'll do what I want and however I want, but at the same time, when it applies to how you interact with them, they want you to have the self-control. So they even value a certain, point, a certain way. We need the spirit rule to get out of bed in the morning. I alluded to that earlier. Think about what that takes. If you're not a morning person, some of you are, and I don't understand you. I never have, but that's it's okay. God bless you. But for the rest of us, it's difficult. Think about what we have to do. We have to think ahead. We have to set the alarm We have to wake up to that horrendously terrible noise. And we have to cast the covers aside, start our day. And we have to do it early enough that we will be at our appointed place with time to spare. I just want to mention that several years ago, there was, uh, I listened to a a sermon by John MacArthur, and it was very good. It was on uh, uh, self self-discipline, he called it. But, and he listed a few things just in his opening, and, this, and he went on, but this was things that were just interesting. He says, it's good to cultivate self-control in your daily life by even doing a few things like keeping your word, being a person who keeps your word, doing difficult things first, being on time to places, finishing what you start, practicing self-denial just because, and certainly we're not, a, by saying that he wasn't and I'm not saying, you know, affirming or advocating asceticism, but just sometimes it's okay to, if you drink a lot of coffee, sometimes maybe you just need to go without it for a few days just to show that you're still in control, he says. And last thing which I thought really resonated with was volunteer. Volunteer, he says, because that says that there's space in your life. And those things by themselves are good, but... Just the sake of doing them, they're, they're not valuable. They're simply one tool that we have in our toolbox in the effort to develop self-discipline. So, in Scripture, we see, and this is what I said, I mean, there, you can go, we can spend hours and hours and hours doing this, but just real quickly, just some examples of bad self-discipline in Scripture. We have Adam in the fall. In Exodus 2, we see where Moses killed an Egyptian. Joshua 7, we see where Achan coveted and stole idols from Jericho. 1 Samuel 15, we saw Saul fail, uh, fail, we saw that Saul failed to destroy all of the Amalekites. 2 Samuel 11, we see that David committed adultery and murder. We know that Solomon had multiple wives, served other gods. And we know that Peter was Peter, right? In the good side of things, just a few, we think of Joseph who refused to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife. I think of Joseph, Mary's husband, who could have sent Mary away when she was found with child by the Holy Spirit, but yet he did not. We see that Paul suffered terribly for the sake of the gospel of Christ, all the while never throwing in the towel. And then, of course, Jesus is simply the perfect example of self-control. So what are some of the 
ramifications of not having a spirit rule in our life or self-control? What are some, what are some of the ways that it affects us? Well, number one, I, our lives are in disarray. You show me someone who is kind of characterized by lack of self-control, and I'll show you a person who does not have it all together in every aspect of his life, and that includes us. Our lives are in disarray. Another aspect of not having spirit rules, we're dissatisfied with having, we're dissatisfied and we're always craving more. Never content. Never ready to say, this is enough. Got to have this. I got to have that. You know, but they just, I've just got content with my new phone and they came out with another one. Wow, how did they do that? Got to have it. Another aspect of when we don't have spirit rule in our lives, those around us often suffer for our lack of, uh, lack of it. Those around us often suffer for our lack of it. Think of um, a gambler's family or an alcoholic's family who's without food, without rent money, due to the habits that they have. Even here, we mentioned Achan a moment ago. If you know the story in Joshua 7, you know, they, they took Jericho, broke down its walls, and, we, and they conquered it. They were like, this is, we're going to conquer the land. Well, the next chapter in Battle of Ai, they failed. They were beaten back miserably. Why? Because of the sin of one man. And then when they uncovered it, he said it was basically, I coveted, and I took the stuff, and I buried it. And they took him outside the camp, him and his whole family, and stoned them to death. We know that David, after he committed his sins with Bathsheba, the sin of adultery and murder her husband, we know that his, if you just follow the story through the rest of Scripture, you see that David's earthly life was affected. God used him greatly still, and in many ways, but we would all be lying to ourselves if we didn't say that his life was affected. He had, uh, you know, he had an insurrection that was led by his own son. His daughter was raped by another son. Some terrible things that went on. And we see just where his ability to be a good, solid, godly father was affected. We find that that our hearts are very far from God when we don't have self-control. God is not the first thing on our lips. He's not the first thing on our thoughts. We're not, and consequently, we cannot live a life that is characterized by his honor and his glory in our life. We can't be doing that if we're not thinking of him first and foremost. Basically, what I'm describing is that we are a city of broken down walls. So again, Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If you look at all of chapter 25, you'll find that there is a common thread running through there. And really through a lot of, lot of the Proverbs. But I just noticed it in this chapter as well that he is hitting on a lot of aspects of self-control. He doesn't use the word in so many ways. I mean, the verse just prior to that says, It's not good to eat too much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. I mean, he brings up little things like that that are always hinting at, hey, you shouldn't just go and do everything that you think you want to do right then. It's not good for you for a lot of reasons. So this chapter is fairly straightforward, and it's a culmination where he spends a lot of time talking about that. So think about the illustration he gives us, like a city broken into and left without walls. We don't have to think very long and very hard about that to understand that countless cities in history have been invaded. And typically when, you know, if those of you know any bit of history, is that, I mean, from ancient times all up to the very near times, cities were surrounded by walls. It was their primary 
uh, it was their primary uh, defense mechanism. And we see it countless times in Scripture. So just using Jericho as an example, what was so intimidating about Jericho? They had these massive walls that were built up. And then we know that when the Israelites walked around and marched around all the times the way that God had directed them to, and then they let out the shout for God had given them the city, the walls came down. And then they were able to go in and plunder. And there was, that city at that point was hopeless. And it fell. So we look at, uh, you can look at, think about Fort Pulaski right out here. You know, it, in the 1800s it was built to be impenetrable by the modern day standards of that time. Or the modern day, of the, well, the current times. But anyway, it was going to be hard to get into due to its location because of the walls. But then the Union showed up and placed rifle bore cannons on Tybee Island from three miles away and began just plunging shells into this wall. And they finally breached the wall. At that point, the commander of the fort gave up. He surrendered. Why? Because he knew that the wall was breached. The wall was compromised. And if they put one more shot in the right place, they were going to go straight into the ammunition. He was going to lose all his men. So he chose to surrender. Matthew Henry says of this verse in Proverbs, says, All that is good goes out and forsakes him. All that is evil breaks in upon him. He lies exposed to the temptations of Satan and becomes an easy prey to the enemy. We see in Scripture Nebuchadnezzar took Judah captive after he destroyed the city and broke down the walls. In Nehemiah 1.3 it says, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach, because the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and the gates thereof have been burned with fire. A city without walls was laid open to attack. I feel vulnerable. Ever dream you show up to work or to school? I'm thinking this is... People, you walk in pretty confident, but you finally realize people are looking at you kind of funny. This is a dream. And they say, and you say, why are people looking at me kind of funny? And then you realize, I forgot to wear pants today. And you're laughing because you've had that dream too. So you feel vulnerable is my point. You feel like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm in a compromised position. It's a hopeless place to be. When we lack self-control, we are exposing ourselves And we are weak and defenseless to any enemy attack. You say, well, what enemy? 1 Corinthians 7.5 says it quite plainly. plainly. Satan will tempt you for your lack of self-control. He is not settled. He is not done with you. Whether it's Satan or his minions, he is there and he knows the weak link in your armor. And he will exploit it. That's why we need to have always a plan of attack or of, or of defense and see the difficulty in the battle far off. Scripture does not ever give us permission to lose our stack and blow our stack. Are we sure? I'm telling you that right now, in the way that we're talking about, Scripture does not give you permission to just blow up at someone, even if they might really need it. Self-control is critical for leaders in the church. I won't go to it, but Titus chapter 1 and 2, chapter 2, both chapters. Read through those, and I want you to think about how many, and take note of how many times self-control is mentioned and who it's mentioned for. Basically, for an elder, it boils down to, is he a man of self-control? It's a defining mark we find out of every true believer. My question is, what do others say about you? Would they say that you're a hothead? I'm talking about just in general, your folks at work or at school or whatever. They say, well, if they see John, what do you think of John? Well, John, oh man, he's a hothead. He's known, he just, you don't really want to deal with him or he's okay, but if he gets mad, that's it. And if John is a Christian then there's a problem with that. So what, does, what do people say about you? Like Nick said a few weeks ago as he was going through Philippians, are you a reasonable person? 
Are you a reasonable person? If you're not sure, ask yourself if you're approachable or if people are afraid due to your reputation to push back and to blow up. And better yet, if you're not sure if you're a reasonable person, ask somebody. They'll tell you. Hopefully. So that's some of the ramifications of not having self-control. But what are some of the blessings of having it? Well, being self-disciplined, this, once again, this is a quote by John MacArthur in that same sermon. He says, being self-disciplined says that we are not emotion-driven. Being self-disciplined says that we are not emotion-driven. As we pointed out, society, we live in the middle of a world that is entirely an emotional, emotionally-driven machine. It's ruled by emotion. We're called to be distinguished from the world. We're called to be different. And here's one area where we can. So really, I can't think of too much good that comes when a person has no self-control. So think about it. Say you're driving down the road and... You're going too fast, and the blue lights happen behind you, and you pull over. And the next day, you're telling your friend that, man, I came uncorked like Mount Vesuvius to that cop when he stopped me. And look how much better things are now. Yeah, this is my one phone call, so can you call someone? (laughs) So self-control is just one quality that sets apart a believer. I'll just quickly go to 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, verses 5 through 9, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection love. These qualities keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So, believer, I'll ask you, do you ever feel ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge and work of Christ? Do you ever feel ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge and the work of Christ? Even though that it's just one aspect of the list that he just gave, examine how possibly a lack of self rule over your spirit has played into that. It will keep you from becoming effective in the work of the gospel. So there's blessings to have it. How do we cultivate self-control? Well, I kind of wish, and you probably do too, that self-control were something that you could just go on Amazon and purchase in bottle format or pills Pop one or two teaspoons, do that twice daily for a week, follow up with the doctor. Or maybe, like, man, I'm feeling a little, little out of control today, slip over to the vending machine, put in a dollar, hit B4 for self-control, put $2 in because you need a little bit more so you get it twice. But you don't, but that's not that simple, is it? It's not something that we can simply just go and take and have a remedy in being, in being done. There's a process, like a lot of things. If you're a recovering alcoholic, it probably would not do well for you to hang out in a bar in all your off time. If you struggle with pornography, it will not do for you to have loan access to a computer and without accountability somehow. Perhaps if you struggle with binge spending, you may not need to have credit cards, maybe work off of cash only. Utilize a good budget counselor. If overeating is a constant temptation, stay away from the buffet. Easier said than done. I'm not being comical that it's serious. If gossiping with the guys at work or the ladies at the hair salon is your thing, try to remove yourself from the situation when you see it coming. Well, you know, how else can you do it? Can you read books? Maybe if I try really hard, I can have some self-control. Willpower, you know, that's purported a lot in today. Um, I just kind of 
type that topic in, you know, uh, self-control into Google, see what the world says, and you'd be amazed at how often willpower comes up. I'm not saying that there's no use for that, but I wouldn't put the emphasis on it that, that many others do. Because really, all these things, and even the little list that we had earlier, they're physical barriers, really. They're great, and really should be a tool in our toolbox, because I really do recommend that if you struggle with alcohol or whatever, don't go by the places where you used to constantly be known as that guy that, you know, where you were constantly drunk and where it was a temptation to you. That's a real thing. But that in itself is just a Band-Aid. They don't really address the matters of the heart. Or excuse me, they don't really address the heart of the matter, which is the heart. Because our heart is constantly at war with ourselves. And we're constantly desiring the things that we don't have. And then that's where all the physical stuff comes in. So what can we do to cultivate self-control? Well, number one, remember who you are in Christ. Remember who you are in Christ. You are his child. If you know the Lord, you are his child. You were once his enemy that he has brought in and placed at his table. And he is lavished with all the, the, the things of the kingdom. And he loves you. And he, there's nothing that you can do to make him love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. Because you are his child. To use the human analogy, think of your own children. Now you, they might do something where maybe a little fellowship is broken with you and them but they're still your child no matter what. Even if they say, well, I'm not your child, it doesn't change anything, right? If we, are, if we are in Christ, we are his children. So remember who you are in Christ. Remember that you do not own yourself, and you are not your own, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Because of who we are in Christ, we do not own ourselves. We have to remember this and remind ourselves of this. The Holy Spirit is within me. The Holy Spirit is there to guide me and to lead me. God has not left us without tools, without the ability to say no to sin. And he helps us in those difficulties. Thirdly, we must remember, or excuse me, we must recognize that all sin is against God. Psalm 51.4, David said, this is his repentant, beautiful repentant psalm, he said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David had committed some pretty heinous sin, but yet he said, it's against you, God. You're the one I sinned against. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Sure. Did he sin against Uriah? Absolutely. But he sinned primarily against God. Recognize that all sin is sin against God. So these things in themselves are great, but they're a great starting point because we have to realize that when we flee to the cross of Christ, that that, the gospel which saved us is the gospel that guides us. The gospel that brought us out of darkness is the gospel that will lead us in the light. And it starts by remembering those things. We must work at it to cultivate it, right? A garden's not going to grow by just going out flinging some seed. You're going to grow all kinds of other stuff, but probably not what you want. And whatever grows, you know, that you do want, the deer are going to come and eat anyway. But it takes effort. And the word, I use the word cultivate because it's not something that just you know, happens right off the bat. It takes time. And it's also not going to happen by just put, putting a set of rules and band-aids over ourselves. So that's where we want to read Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. 
For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things that you want to do. There is very much a spiritual aspect to things. In verse 17, it brought out the point that the flesh and the spirit are opposed to one another and that it suggests that it's very difficult to cultivate self-control. And like I said, the mere fact that the Bible speaks so often on this topic of self of ruling of spirit rule suggests that it should always be on our minds. Constantly throughout scripture, there's a myriad of times where it mentions us and implores us and exhorts this. And that's what we need to recognize that if the God, if, if God through the Bible has put so much emphasis on it, maybe it means something, maybe it's important. In verse 16 of Galatians 5, he says, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. That's simple, that's plain, and that's true. I like to listen to Alistair Begg every week, and, every, and one thing he says a lot after you listen to him a while, he tends to say the same, that he says, The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. It sounds simplistic. Walk in the Spirit. You won't gratify the lust of the flesh. Well, how do I do that? Well, are you abiding in Christ? Are you walking in such a way that you are every day thinking of Christ and His glory in your life? Thinking of just even sometimes cause and effect. If I do this, will this bring honor to God? Are you abiding in him by taking part in the, the tools that he has given you? Really, this is not new material. Um, we're to have a daily intake of the means of grace. Now, Nick just mentioned this last week, and I promised that this was already written then. But it's a testament to the point, is it not? He mentioned last week and kind of said, well, here I go, talking about the means of grace again. Well, guess what? You're going to hear about the means of grace So, a balanced diet is essential for good physical health. So also, a balanced diet of the means of grace is essential for good spiritual health. I'll say that again. A balanced diet is is essential for good physical health. So also, a balanced diet of the means of grace is essential for good spiritual health. So, how is your time in the Word? How is your time in the Bible? Do you prioritize that in your life? doesn't mean that if, you know, hey, man, I, I got six days in this week of reading, but I didn't do it the seventh, man, am I going to hell? No. But by and large, you know, it's just like anything in life. You don't want to look at things down on a microscope level, but rather on a, maybe a wide-angle lens type idea. You know, how is your time in the Word? Do you desire that? Do you recognize it for what it is, which is God's main tool, working, of course, with the Spirit to bring you closer to conformity of of Jesus Christ and who He is and to be more like Him, less like what you were and more like He is? Are you being sanctified by the use of it? So how's your time in the Word? How's your prayer life? Is your prayer life active or is it dry like a hot desert? If you want to think about how prayer can be utilized in, in your life to help develop self-control, think ahead. I, I think of um, a book called The Enemy Within, which is a modern-day reiteration of, uh, of John Owen's book by a very long name. It's totally escaping me now. It's a good book, Enemy Within. It's very readable. Uh, But he talks a great deal about praying and looking ahead. You know, that, you know, we are, that our, uh, we should be looking ahead, recognizing where am I tempted normally, okay? Normally when I go here or do this or enter into this situation, I, I tend to be more tempted. See it afar off. Be praying already prior to that. You know, we have this tendency, and, and I do too, that, you know, we tend to isolate, use these little isolated prayers, you know, throughout the day or, or that. But rather, are we really engaging in constant, consistent prayer? 
you know, to be characterized by a lifestyle of it. And we should be thinking of those things and praying about those long before we enter into those temptations. Means of grace. Are you, are you in worship on the Lord's Day? Um, do you view that as perhaps simply a check mark on Sunday morning so that you can kind of get on with your day? Do you happen to have a swimsuit under your clothes right now? Maybe golf shorts so that you can just simply shed them and go, right? Is that your, is that your idea? Do you rush out of service or do you linger? Do you try to t- think about the things that you've been learning that day? Do you enjoy, linger to enjoy the fellowship that we have? Do you meditate on what you learn? Or do you, and do you read, I'm trying to see where I wrote it. Do you meditate on what you learn and read, or do you reformat your brain as soon as you leave? Do you just kind of like brain dump, you know, wipe clean, didn't really get any further than here? Are you surrounding yourselves with the community of faith? Are you surrounding yourself with fellow believers who encourage you to godliness and self-control? Or are your main companions in life those who drag you down and speak to your dissatisfaction and discontentment? And we all have to, I have a job that I go to, you know, during the week. And those guys that I work with are a tight-knit crew, and I love them. They're not believers. They are my friends, and I genuinely mean that. But at the same time, they're not the ones I go to and try to tell the deepest things of my heart or what's going on in my life. Um, and when I'm around, I have a tendency to be, you know, kind of, they, they have a lot of dissatisfaction, discontentment. You know what that does? It crawls right over on me. And this is an area where I personally need self-control, you know, recognizing that and recognizing that, you know, I want to speak the gospel to these guys. I want to demonstrate you know, Christ's likeness to them. And I have failed often by doing that and that opportunity. But I don't want, it's who do you surround yourself with? If you find yourself struggling, be deliberate. Go out to breakfast with somebody or lunch or supper or whatever. Or have people over. Talk to someone about your life. Perhaps you don't have anybody necessarily in your life. Rather, find somebody. Wives, pray with your husbands. Husbands, pray with your wives and your kids. Kids, pray with your parents. Your friends, kids, pray with your friends. It's okay, you know. If you have, you know, if you have friends that, you know, are believers, it's okay. You're never too young to start doing that. Be real in your life with people. Be vulnerable with one another. How you're tempted and how you're leaving your walls broken down. People care. They do. We often talk ourselves, however, into believing the lie that no one does care. And without getting too deep on this, and this is simply this, one, and I mean only one of the common denominators of depression, if you deal and struggle with depression, sometimes it involves a lack of self-control. You tend to feel... You like, okay, you lose it, you do something terrible, or you say something, or whatever it is. You, you demonstrate a lack of self-control, and then you say, here I go again. I can never be what God wants me to be. I can never do it. I, every time I feel like I'm gaining ground, then I, I just feel like dirt. You know, no one wants to be around me. Those are lies. And recognize them for what they are. And we struggle with those. We tend to tell ourselves those things. But the community of faith is here. The gospel has freed us, people, so that we do not have to believe that lie. So ask yourself some basic questions like, in what areas am I prone to temptation? In what areas am I prone to temptation? Now, yours may not be mine, and mine may not be yours, but we all have them. We are all prone to temptation. If you say that you're not, then clearly you're prone to the temptation of lying. (laughs) So... 
what sins are easy for me to give into? What sins are easy for me to give into? What angers me? In what do I seek contentment and fulfillment? What are my idols? Perhaps tasks and things that I do. I've got to do some, so much. You know, I, I, I mean, I'm a guy that loves my pastimes and my hobbies. Am I seeking fulfillment in those things? Or my habits? Or my relationships? Maybe if I, if I just could, you know, get so many friends around me, then, you know, I feel like I have self-control. Or if I can just achieve this thing. You know, what am I seeking my fulfillment in? How do I react? Listen to this. How do I react when someone loves me enough to tell me what I do not want to hear? Because I will tell you right now, we need to get past the superficial part of that. If you have somebody in your life that loves you enough to tell you what you do not want to hear, you have a good friend. Because they are, even if they know you as an unreasonable person, they're willing to put that out there and risk you know, your ire and your anger to be able to tell you what, what, you, need to, what uh, you don't want to hear. Am I seeking the glorification of God in all aspects of my daily life? If not, what keeps me from doing so? And what am I seeking to glorify instead? So if I'm not seeking after glorification of God, I'm seeking after the glorification of something. And like we just said about idols, ask God to show you your idols. Ask Him in prayer to show you your idols. And He will do so. Ask yourself, am I a city of broken down walls that leaves me naked and open to attack and temptation by the devil? So, to sum up, what if, what if I've messed up? Well, I guarantee every single person in here has. So maybe recognize that. Maybe that's helpful to some degree. Today is a new day, and we have a forgiving God. And tomorrow will be a new day, and we still will have a forgiving God. And He has given us the gospel, and He wants us to flee back to the cross of Christ and to never learn to live life or try to live life apart from doing those things. We weren't equipped to do them apart from the gospel and apart from the cross. If you're a person known for a certain disposition and you do not exemplify Christ to the outside world, seek the forgiveness of God, obviously. Pray to Him. And perhaps even those that you've been leading wrongly by your actions. May include your co-workers. Maybe your family. Maybe that guy at the grocery store, you don't know his name, but he knows you as that guy. Here comes that guy again. Oh, boy. Start to utilize the tools that God has given you, the things that we've spoken of today. He's not left you alone. And I'm sure that as time goes on, you're going to hear more and more of the same thing. Means of grace, means of grace, fellowship. Time in the Word, prayer life, being real with one another, being vulnerable. No man is an idol. We can't sit here and expect to wall ourselves in and expect people to come to us. Go to somebody. So in conclusion, we are to rule over our own spirit and we are to be ruled by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give us guidance through the Word, through those things that He has given us to know Him. And so, believer, that's it. I, it's not super profound. This is really maybe trying to stir us up by way of reminder. Like Peter says, we've, we all need this in our life. Try to recognize how no self-control is characterizing society and perhaps has worked over in our lives and try to utilize some of these things to raise that, uh, to, to uh, try to beat that in our lives, but use with the proper tools that God has given us. So perhaps if you're sitting here today and you don't know, you think, okay, self-control, I, could, I get it, but what does all this mean to grace? What is all these things? I believe in God. 
if you are on the outside, if you are, do not know Christ, you probably see some benefit to having self-control, but at the same time, you don't have the ability to do it. I will tell you right now, flee to the cross of Christ. Come, ask us, what is this gospel? What is this understanding that I need to have so that I can learn and have self-control? I encourage you to consider these things today. Think about them. Don't leave here without speaking to somebody about them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that this morning you've utilized me. Wholly inadequate to teach on this subject. But simply just to use your word to recognize what a person without self-control looks like. And it's a devastating picture. We don't know you the way that we should. And we want to know you better. Father, give us spirit rule in our lives. Help us to say no to the things that do not honor you or glorify you. Help us to say no when we're angry when we really want to spout off and hurt those around us. Help us to see the ramifications that our sin affects other people. Help us to see that Christ was a perfect example of self-control and that we are to grow in wisdom and godliness and these spiritual disciplines, Father. Cultivate it in our lives. I pray, O oh God, for those who are here who do not know you. Maybe this would pique their interest, poke their spirit, Father, to help them understand that they need you. And it's not simply about trying to you know, do this or do that to attain a certain status, to be able just to control ourselves, but it can only be done perfectly through you. Break our hearts of our sin. Show us our idols. Show us our sin. And help us to live righteously. Constantly thinking about your glorification in our life. And how every single aspect of our life relates back to you. We thank you for the gifts of the word, for the means of grace, for the fellowship, the communion of faith. And pray that you will help us to utilize them to the extent that you have designed them. Through Christ our Lord, amen.